Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's October 9th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Michael Warren of the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Glad to be here, Charlie. Well, let's start off with, we have a lot of things to talk about, including the uh, the Brett Kavanaugh hangover, but the breaking news today, the announcement uh, that Nikki Haley is resigning as UN ambassador. I guess the first question, Michael, to ask is, why now? The, the, the puzzling seems, let me sorry, the timing seems puzzling, because it seems all backwards, um, that she would have announced it 28 days before the midterm elections, not planning to leaving until the end of the year. Why now, do you think? That's an interesting question. I don't think a lot of people know. I know I know uh, that a lot of uh, people who work for her were, were uh, surprised by this. Um, I, I talked to somebody who was, who was close to Haley um, just after the, the announcement, and, uh, and this person said that um, essentially very surprised. Most surprising thing to me is that uh, she has no immediate plans or job to announce is what this person told me. Um, and, and so that's, I mean, and that's really a a big part of this, right? Is, is it's not as if she's, um, resigning in order to, uh, run for another office, maybe, uh, replace, uh, say Lindsey Graham in the Senate. If Lindsey Graham were going to, uh, try to take over as, as attorney general and, and, and there was some kind of double switch like that. Um, none of, none of that seems to be in the offing. Um, I think there was an idea that she would serve, through the end of this year and then leave. Um, mm-hmm. So so that's not as surprising, but the, the, the fact that she is leaving, uh, you know, at the end of December after after two years in, uh, roughly two years in the position, uh, as you say, what's surprising is announcing it now, announcing it in this way that, uh, you know, is right before the midterm elections and also in a kind of, I mean, it was, it was I suppose it was great TV, you know, in this meeting in the Oval Office next to President Trump um, where they're sort of praising each other and, and, and thanking each other and, um, uh, and kind of doing it all out in public. Um, just, just a little bizarre. Well, there, there was, of course, some speculation that maybe, you know, her power and her authority had been downgraded, uh, you know, with with John Bolton and and, uh, and Mike Pompeo. But uh, that was clearly a love fest uh, in the Oval Office. And, you know, I was listening to some of the speculation that, uh, you know, th- well, this was bad news for the Trump administration because you're losing a high profile woman, a high profile minority um, right after the Kavanaugh hearing. But I, I, th- I thought they maximized the positive imagery of it. Um, made it very clear that unlike the vast majority of departures from the administration, this one was on very, very good terms. And it gave Trump a chance to really do a little bit of a victory lap or what he would regard as a victory lap on on, on foreign policy and associate himself with arguably the most popular, most powerful woman in his administration. Uh, but it still raises the question, and because she is such a star, I mean, that that's why – I think it just raised so many eyebrows uh, that you know her her future is uh, well let's just say is 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 bright. She's forty six years old. She says she's not running in twenty twenty, uh, but uh, clearly you could certainly imagine a a national political future for for her. But it again comes back to this puzzling question. Not just that it happened today, but as far as I can tell, Michael. Uh, the White House was kind of blindsided by it. A lot of people in foreign policy just didn't see this coming. Right. <clears throat> you wouldn't have the same reaction if, say, Wilbur Ross were leaving the right. administration. Um, it, it, right. And and not just the most 
popular uh, woman in the in the administration. I would I would argue she's one of the most popular Republicans in the country right now. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that is, is the she has the benefit of being uh, removed from Washington. She's in New York. She has that removed. She has to remove from from the president himself. I mean, um, think about the number of times you've seen Nikki Haley and Donald Trump next to each other like they were today. It's it's relatively rare. Um, I agree. This was a, a a good opportunity for for the president to sort of um, uh, to sort of spike the football a bit on on some of what he considers um, uh, some major foreign policy achievements. Um, and it's interesting. I was looking back through some recent interviews over the last uh, eight eight months or so with Nikki Haley. She seems to be um, uh, associating herself in these interviews all before this resignation with um, the the achievements of the administration, of course, and sort of touting how uh, uh, how things have changed uh, under under President Trump and under his administration. Um, but also keeping a little bit of distance. Uh, she's she's done this uh, several times sort of saying um, explicitly, you know, when particularly when she's asked about the tweets or asked mm-hmm. about certain things that uh, or about women, right? You know, uh, she sort yeah. of says, well, when I disagree with the president, I say so. Um, I, I give him a call uh, and I speak my mind. She said the same thing in a in a Wall Street Journal op-ed that she wrote sort of in response to uh, the anonymous op-ed uh, that that ran in the New York Times from yeah. a supposed a senior official in the administration, where she uh, uh, Haley denied writing that anonymous op-ed, but said the same thing essentially. I, when I disagree with the president, I say so to his face. Um, that's uh, she, she's kind of played and she's she's done a good job, I think, of sort of walking that tightrope. Um, but she went out today um, with some some I would say some pretty. Um, uh, uh, unadorned praise for mm-hmm. for Trump and the administration, and interestingly enough, for Jared Kushner yeah. and Ivanka Trump. She speaks Trump, Trump right? She she speaks fluent Trump. Yes, w- w- which is that when you're in the presence of the great man, you're going to gush. Yeah, and the the Jared Kushner comments were uh, rather extraordinary. Yeah, she said uh, she was talking about uh, how uh, she she name checked those two of all the of all the people in the administration. She didn't mention uh, Mike Pompeo. She didn't mention John yeah. Bolton. She didn't mention uh, Vice President Pence. Uh, and the two of them are close. She mentioned Jared Kushner hmm. and Ivanka Trump and said, "Quote: Jared is such a hidden genius that no one understands." She was talking about NAFTA and some of the other other things that he's had his hand in. So. Um, I don't know how to exactly to read that, but uh, it seems that, uh, as you say, Charlie, she's very good at, at speaking Trump and flattering the man that it, she was in. You, 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 you've made two really good points here. And let me go to the second one. Um, was it, it's, it, it seems like kind of a reach to, to think of that the Jared or Ivanka would take her place in the U.N., but – but now that you mention it, was was she dropping some hints? Not to mention the fact that it gets them back in in New York. So that's really not outside the realm of possibility, is it? I mean, we're, we're speculating here, but we are speculating. But the the but fact sh- that she didn't mention anybody else and she mentioned them. That's right. It is, is rather extraordinary. And, and the president in this in this uh, news appearance in this press appearance uh, said he would be talking with Nikki Haley about that uh, selection, about who there's a lot of people who are interested in the job, he said, uh, and maybe making a decision the next two or three weeks. So it would make sense. You know, I remember in the very beginning, I guess the, during the transition, right before the inauguration, 
And there was all this talk that, well, it's crazy that Jared Kushner and uh, certainly Ivanka Trump would go into the White House. Well, <laughs> a couple of weeks and a couple of months later, of course, it's, it was, they were they were right at home there. So I, I definitely do not preclude that possibility that uh, one of them may be may be heading there. Uh, again, as the president said, a lot of other people. There was talk of Dina Powell, the former Deputy National Security Advisor, uh, uh, a uh, who lives in New York. Um, uh, as a possible mm-hmm. pick, Rick Grinnell, the ambassador to Germany, was very popular uh, with President Trump and and served um, on the staff for the United Nations uh, for something like twelve years. So he's he's definitely got the experience there. Um, any of these people could be nominated. The question, of course, is will they get confirmed by the Senate? And and that's a big question. Yeah, it obviously is. The other the other point that you made a little while ago, though, is 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 really you know perhaps the one of the longest term significance is is that Nikki Haley, unlike so many others, leaves the Trump administration relatively unsullied. Her reputation is still in in intact. She really did manage to navigate this to 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 not be associated with some of the more toxic elements, but to be supportive of the overall uh, the overall foreign policy here. Now, that's obviously not when I say you know unsullied, you know un, untarnished by the experience. Obviously, were she to run for president, uh, you know Democrats would you know would, would would cite her her support for the you know the travel ban, uh, you know the, maybe separation of children to the border, a lot of other things that are that are that are controversial. But in terms of her diplomatic skills, which I think were relatively effective in the United Nations, they were also on display in the way that she navigated the Trump administration and Trump-era politics. I'm trying to think of anybody else that leaves the administration um, with their reputation intact. Um, and then by that, I mean, you know, not not just with people on the outside, but even with, with Trumpists. Who, who else really? It's a, it's a, it's a good point. And we should caution um, and, and say, you know, uh, this is, of course, the conversation that you have right before some big scandal drops uh, about Nikki Haley that we have no idea. And, and I know nothing about any of this. So I, this is just, again, just sort of uh, speculation. Um, but the, the, the fact that there is kind of um, a, a, a surprising resignation here suggests it's a, it's a possibility. It wouldn't be the first time something like that has happened in Washington. But with You're what right. we know, with yeah. what we know, with the, with the facts, you're absolutely right. And I, I, I agree with you. I can't think of anybody else in the Trump administration who has left. I mean, uh, uh, under uh, everybody else who has left, it's been something like uh, uh, paying for, uh, you know, the, 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 the taxpayer-funded flights, uh, luxury flights, um, any other kind of scandal. Uh, I mean, beating uh, of ex-wives and having that come out. I mean, there's so much out there that is just – that is embarrassing. And, and Haley, I think – Again, in part because of her separation both from Washington and from the president. Um, has has been able to navigate that. She's also just. Um, I, I would say this has revealed itself. I wasn't so sure when I when I would follow her and cover her a little bit uh, when she was governor of South Carolina. But but I've sort of changed my mind watching her at the UN. She's a much more skilled politician than than maybe a lot of the other folks in the administration and sort of knowing how to how to deftly navigate things. Remember, she was a strong Marco Rubio supporter in the primaries. Yeah, uh, sure. She's come around to be uh, somebody who uh, at least from. Uh, outward appearances seems to have uh, the president's uh, love and support. Well, yeah, I mean, it, she's a two-time elected governor of the state of South Carolina as a woman, as an Indian American. Uh, and so obviously she has tremendous political skills, which, uh, you know, I've stood her in 
obviously good stead here. And yes, you, you, go, you go back. I mean, a lot of people were remembering that she was not an early Trump supporter. You know, she and and Senator Scott and Marco Rubio were kind of, you know, the three amigos who were campaigning in South Carolina. And of course, they were steamrolled by the the, the, the Trump Express. And she found a way forward. Um, you, you, you did drop a, a major caveat, and it goes back to the original question, why now? Why in this particular way? Is there something else that we don't know about? And I'm guessing that the entire uh, Washington slash diplomatic press corps is trying to figure out really what was going on. Will, <laughs> yes. will there be off the record discussions that she felt that John Bolton was stepping on her toes, uh, that she was dissatisfied about this or that, or that something else was coming down the pipeline? So yeah, the the, there's always another shoe that's going to drop. So before we, we put a bow on this particular story, I do think that uh, that's a legitimate caveat. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and of course, this is, yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to do, <laughs> trying to figure all right. this stuff out. Um, and uh, I, I do want to say one more thing about this and in particular, um, because everybody sort of got the uh, uh, the, the, the question immediately arose as soon as the news broke that she was going to resign. What does this mean for Nikki Haley 2020? This sort of been a pipe dream perhaps for never Trump conservatives um, who really like her. Again, we talked about her, her alliance with Marco Rubio during the primaries, the same kind of people, same kind of conservatives really uh, liked what she was doing within the administration uh, on, on issues like Israel and Russia. Um, and she very she was not even asked by the reporter. She sort of uh, 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 predicted that she would be asked about 2020. And she said um, relatively categorically, uh, I'm not running in 2020. Uh, I will be supporting this guy. She pointed to the president. I will be supporting the president, campaigning for him. So seemingly closing that uh, out. But you never say never. It's it's uh, it's not 2020. Charlie, it's 2018, so uh, that's a, yeah. a a lifetime difference. But I do think um, uh, there, you know, I, I, again, I talked to somebody who was close to Nikki Haley uh, about this, uh, asked if, uh, uh, if 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 what she could be doing is preparing for a presidential run. This person um, said essentially that there's there's no clear path. There's no obvious way of doing it. That doesn't mean it's a, it's a definite no. But between that. I think reality, uh, and the fact that she she sort of precluded that in her remarks uh, today suggests she's not going to be doing that. But never say never, I yeah. suppose. Well, twenty twenty four though is only six years That's away, right. and That's she's right. again forty six years old, so she'd be fifty two years old. She'd still be a young woman, and the question, of course, would be whether or not Mike Pence would be the the heir apparent, but. Uh, uh, obviously, she's got to be in that conversation. There's no question about it. Okay, I want to talk about the uh, the Kavanaugh uh, the, the the Kavanaugh hangover. Uh, also, did you see, by the way, uh, Matt Lewis's piece uh, that uh, Kavanaugh has uh, the Kavanaugh confirmation fight has killed Never Trump? I did not. I saw. I saw it on Twitter. I didn't read it. But what, what, what do you make of that? You- yeah, I mean, Matt Lewis could be right. There's no question that the d- debate over Kavanaugh has uh, united Republicans and conservatives, including some very, very strong anti-Trump conservatives who who rallied around. Now, whether that translates into pro-Trumpism, I don't know. Um, it was interesting because it came out the day that we we and I'll tell you who it, it unveiled a a new. So we say a, I, I could describe it as a a rational conservative drudge report. Um, it's called the bulwark.com. I would urge people to check it out. Uh, Bill Crystal uh, and uh, and I and Mona Charon and Linda Chavez and others are are on the editorial advisory board. And uh, if if you're looking for a place to collect uh, a hub for, should we say, rational, non-tribal, non-maga conservative commentary, 
this is going to be the site. I, I, I really, I'm, I'm very, enthu- I'm perhaps irrationally enthusiastic about it. I think it's probably way overdue, but, uh, you know, if, if you, there's got to be a home for for folks to be able to go and say, okay, what actually are people on the right saying? What does it look like if you filter out the the you know the the, the magaites? And so, check out the the bulwark.com. But it, came, it was interesting the timing that uh, that uh, Matt's column about the the end of Never Trump came the the very very day the bulwark was uh, was rolled out. But I do think that the Kavanaugh confirmation though reaffirmed that never trump doesn't mean never anything he does because i don't think there was a division because as i said the day of the kavanaugh appointment was you know came down that the conservatives would have supported him had it been had he been named by president rubio president uh, bush president walker or anyone else um so i don't know that 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 necessarily uh, you know that that necessarily came as a surprise on the other hand and i want to talk about this after the break here uh, it, it really striking in this hangover, watching how Democrats are overplaying and misplaying their hands. And I want to talk to you about that, Michael, when we come back. Today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by Quip. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth. Most of us do it badly. Quip's a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers, and it was designed to make brushing your teeth simpler, affordable, and more enjoyable. Quip features sensitive sonic vibrations, which are gentle on your sensitive gums, because most people just brush too hard. Some electric toothbrushes are are too abrasive. Quip has a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping guide a full and even clean of your teeth. Up to 90% of us just don't brush for a full two minutes or don't clean evenly. And it comes with a multi-use cover that mounts to your mirror, unmounts to slide over your bristles for an on-the-go brushing, which helps you declutter your sink or cabinet, which I could always use. Uh, Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks. Three out of four of us use bristles that are old, worn out, and ineffective. And Quip's one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association and has thousands of verified five-star reviews. So look, this is why I actually use Quip and why I always take it with me when I travel and why they're backed by more than 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go right now to getquip.com standard, you can get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com standard, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash standard. So, Michael, uh, Brett Kavanaugh sworn in. He's actually uh, on the U.S. Supreme Court today. That all happens awfully fast. And we still have this hangover. Uh, the president uh, did a victory lap again last night, spiked the football, whatever other, you know, cliche you want to use, uh, you know, de- declares that the that uh, that Brett Kavanaugh was found innocent, which is somewhat overstating it. But it is clear that 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 both sides are ramping up the way they're pushing this or waving the Kavanaugh bloody shirt. I have a piece up now on the Weekly Standard website about Democrats, uh, you know, I think fighting dumb rather than smart. A couple of in- indications of that. Those liberal groups like MoveOn.org and one of the big super PACs that immediately announced that they were pulling any of their support for Joe Manchin and Phil Bredesen in Tennessee, the the Democratic candidates. And my point would be, uh, guys, uh, you can do whatever you like, but 
if Democrats lose both of those states, their chances of winning the U.S. Senate are absolutely zero. And then this continued embrace of by by some Democrats of Michael Avenatti um, strikes me as uh, perhaps not the most prudent possible step, even though they they seem to think that he's their Donald Trump in 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 some ways. And also the the apocalyptic rhetoric. I just think, it, you know, that the, de- the Democrats don't fully understand the scope or the depth of the backlash they may be continuing to create. Could be. I'm actually going to uh, uh, just for uh, devil's advocate's sake, sure. suggest that that maybe we could be wrong because I, I, I tend to agree with you, actually, Charlie, but um, we could be wrong. I mean, we say, uh, you know, the Dems are embracing Avenatti as their own Donald Trump. Well, last time I checked, Donald Trump won. Um, maybe exactly. <laughs> maybe there's a maybe the market really is um, uh, for sort of uh, going extreme, going sort of out of the bounds of what we expect uh, politicians and politics to be uh, in order to really uh, uh, get support. Um, we could be looking back on this in uh, in in three years and going, uh, well, we should have seen it all along. The Democrats um, had their own sort of version of what happened to Republicans in 2015 and 2016 with, with, with President Michael Avenatti. Absolutely. Absolutely, and, uh, and 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 vi- and Vice President Omarosa actually. Then maybe that's that's where it's going. Um, well, that, that's what we deserve. As, <laughs> exactly. as a country, we do deserve this. But uh, you know, I do think I, I think in general, Charlie, you're right about um, th- there's a sense that. Democrats aren't really learning any lessons from the from the Kavanaugh hearing. I think I think they're sort of stuck in this idea that um, uh, that everything that has happened since 2016, uh, and that includes the uh, the the Merrick Garland not getting a, a hearing and not getting a vote uh, in the United States Senate, of course Donald Trump's election, um, uh, and and of course what happened with Brett Kavanaugh. It's all sort of unfair. Um, that that uh, that it shouldn't have happened this way, and it's really kind of uh, against what they uh, how they perceive uh, things should have gone. Well, I mean, in, in politics, this is this is sort of usually a call to figure out. Okay, so how can we convince more people? Um, try to be a little more strategic about the way we run elections. Uh, maybe even win a few elections uh, along the way. The Democrats don't seem to be reacting in that way. It seems to be a kind of revolt against the system itself. Again, not that different from the way Republicans reacted, I think, after the uh, at the election of 2012 um, and and and, uh, and 2014 when they were frustrated. Um, you've been hearing- and, and, that, and that, by the way, is the argument that they're making is, look, you know, the the uh, Republicans lost their mind. Uh, they went to an 11 on the outrage machine. They did all of these things and they were completely obstructionist and they won and they and they now control everything. So why don't we adopt those tactics? And that's and that's obviously going to be very, very appealing. I mean, we've seen how appealing it was among you know, among conservatives. You know, you know why? No more Mr. Nice Guy. Take off the gloves. We don't need to be like Bush. You know, why? Why can't we adopt the tact? The problem, of course, is that it creates quite a cycle. Yes. And and, 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 and when you when you have a celebrity porn lawyer who apparently has the, the same allegiance to uh, to truth that uh, that the current president does gives you an indication of how fast that cycle moves. That's right. And, and you know, every each side can point to a sort of origin story on this. Um, and it just that doesn't seem very helpful or useful uh, to try to figure out who who started it. Uh, it's one of these things that. um uh, you know, you could always go back and say, well, you know, it was the Clarence Thomas hearings or the Bork hearings or uh, it was 
uh, uh, you know, some, you know, what the, the, the culture that, uh, Nixon, you know, created with creep and Roger Stone and all that. I mean, you could just keep going back, um, uh, in a way that I think is sort of not useful in trying to figure out, okay, w- let's look at where we are right now. What's the, um, what's the prudent way? What's, what's the way that sort of Democrats have been talking for a couple of years now about, um, about norms being broken by president Trump, about the idea that, uh, that, you know, this is just too crazy. Um, well, it seems to me that talking about expanding the Supreme Court um, to to, to pack it, uh, talking about sort of really radically changing the the Constitution to uh, change representation in the Senate. These are these are calls by uh, by a group of people and maybe not all Democrats, but the loudest Democrats, certainly, um, who have not sort of grasped the uh, the the reality that um, that that they may need to change the way they think about politics, the way they think about elections. So that they can actually win um, not just a majority of Americans, which they argue they did in 16, but uh, win in places that they haven't been able to win recently. This is what Republicans did. They won in the Midwest in 2016 uh, in, in that, that they had been sort of unable or unwilling to compete there in those places uh, effectively. I think Democrats ought to have a little more of a soul-searching moment than, than they seem to be Oh, I, I completely agree with you. And and by the way, now you remind me of something I, sh- I left out of the article. I should have mentioned the whole uh, speculation about court packing, which right. you know, gives you an indication of sort of how, how desperate they are. And I, I did point out that, you know, complaining about the um, allocation of votes in the United States Senate does come off as, uh, as a little bit more whining than developing a winning strategy. But you know, the we we talked about this briefly before we started the, the the podcast. This culture among Democrats that refuses to acknowledge any any you know any of their own contribution to the problems that we have right now or or errors. It's just the the other day, uh, NBC's uh, Casey Hunt I think tweeted something out that you know yes, Mitch McConnell has presided over the decline of certain important norms in the Senate, but then of course so did Democrat Harry Reid, and she got this massive blowback. Oh, how can you suggest a moral equivalency? Well, wait. Obviously, um, both political parties have contributed significantly to what we have right now. And yet Democrats absolutely are just locked into this. We are not going, there's no eight, you know, it's completely, you know, asymmetric. You know, you're the people who've lost their minds when obviously I've written a book along that, but there's not, doesn't seem to be much of an appetite for introspection among the Democrats. And I think they're going to pay a price for that. I think so too. Even if they do uh, well in these midterm elections, I think they're still on track. You can even look at some of the recent polling that's come out post Kavanaugh. Um, they're still on track to to win the House, but maybe not by not as large a majority as they might have otherwise. Um, I think they're still going to be more difficult place to win the Senate. And that actually brings me back to something, Charlie. You you you, you talked about right before the break, which was the sort of uh, the way in which this Kavanaugh episode has organized has has organized and um, and sort of consolidated the larger kind of conservative and and uh, and, and center right world uh, in a way that hasn't really been we haven't really seen that since I would say the 2014 midterm elections when, no, when Republicans right. took over the Senate and uh, it, it seems to me that what, there there's something uh, that that's parallel here uh, to this this newfound uh, comedy among uh, Republicans and conservatives which is it also also seems to track with about two and a half, three weeks of news coverage in which I noticed Donald Trump was really not 
anywhere near it. I mean, I mean, there was some. There was the United mm-hmm. Nations appearance and a couple of others, but the news was not about Donald Trump. Donald Trump. It suggests to me that Donald Trump remains a singular uh, and often divisive, uh, less divisive than maybe before, but a divisive person and a singular force within the Republican Party and the conservative movement that can't be explained necessarily or entirely or completely uh, by simply this is where uh, conservatives in the Republican Party uh, is and when and will be going on various directions whether it's trade or immigration things he is so he, he's so singular um, mm-hmm. that when you strip him away and you kind of get back to um, uh, things that Republicans kind of all agree about there's there's a lot more unity than 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 it otherwise might seem. You know, that's a really good point, because really, this was the first three week period since since when? Since the end of 2015, <laughs> that, that Donald Trump has not dominated every aspect of, of the de- of the debate. This was this. There is a little bit of a carve out here. And I think you're absolutely right, which would suggest that once this little carve out comes to an end, we're, we're back to where we were. Michael Warren, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it uh, on another uh, heavy, heavy Newsday in, uh, in 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 American politics, and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.